Yeah. Works real good. All right, Genesis. As Charles has read for us, because I'm certainly not going to read those names. <laughs> They're not that hard to read if you don't pronounce them out loud. That's <laughs> Sorry, Charles. Uh, we've been looking at Abra, Abram, Abraham, and we'll continue for the next few weeks. And, and in, in chapter 13, we, we got to, uh, to Sarah and, and Abram and, in Egypt and, and returning and coming back up to God. And then the, the latter part of uh, chapter 13, we'll just sum up right quick. It just tells of the parting of Abram and, and his nephew Lot. They were both very wealthy. And some of their wealth had come from Egypt. And uh, anyway, they, they were at the point where they were, they were just running up against each other all the time. And so Abram said to Lot, here it is, look at it, decide what you want, and go that way, and I'll go the other way. And Lot chose the, uh, the part of the land that looked like Egypt. And Abram apparently had learned some things from his time in Egypt about things like his success was not determined by his own power or his own authority, but by the Lord's calling and the Lord's provision. So it really, he, he was not... He was not bound by what looked like a good deal. He was bound by his, his relationship with the Lord. And so uh, Lot had not learned that lesson. And so he was impressed with stuff, whereas Abram was impressed with the Lord. And Abram is learning to walk by faith. And, and in, in verse 14 of chapter 13. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this, this picture, for this story, this, this account of one who followed you. One that you called when he wasn't looking for you one that you developed a relationship with, brought to you when he had no interest in you, but you stirred that in him to the point where he is now trusting you and will, you'll build his faith and he will, he will work out that faith for your glory. Build that in us. Help us see that that is your desire for us and we have the benefit of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us, who, we who put our trust in Christ. And so we, are, we have advantages Abram didn't. Just glorify yourself in us and in your church and through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Abram sets up a new address. 
and, and verse 18 of chapter 13. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, notice that he pitched a tent. He didn't build a brick house. He didn't build a tower of Babel or a tower of Abram. He just built, pitched his tent because he is not set upon staying in this location. This is where God has brought him. This is not his permanent address. Hebrews 11 tells us that he's looking to, for a foundation to a city whose founder, the one who laid the foundation, designed the foundation, built it, is the Lord. And so he's, he's still looking for the place that God would have him. And God has said to him, lift up your eyes and look. And then he said, lift up your feet and go walk it. So for a while, he's settling here. But, and that's an interesting place that he settled. If you look at the, the names of the places that, that, that are described here, uh, Mamre is a word that means fatness or, or vigor. And Hebron is a word that means fellowship or association. So where, where Abram settled, where he pitched his tent, he settled for a while, are between fatness and fellowship. That's a good spot. Now, we're not talking this kind of fatness, although there's nothing wrong with that because that's just a demonstration of God's blessing. So he's settling in the blessing of the Lord and in the fellowship of the Lord. And he didn't build a house, but he did build an altar. Now, he built an altar... I submit to you not to endear himself to God, not because if I build an altar, if I, if I you know, set up this elaborate prayer closet in my house, if I you know, give my, my body, if I give all my possessions to the poor, then God will love me more. If, if I build this elaborate altar that everybody can see, they'll see how, how religious I am, how Connected I am to God. That's not the idea. The idea is he's building a place to offer sacrifice, to, to praise God, to offer thanks to God. And to offer thanks to God for what God has promised, even before he saw it. You go back to Hebrews 11 again. He's living in tents because he's looking forward to what God has for him. He's living in tents. He's settled here between Hebron and, and Mamre, or, or at Hebron and Mamre, because God has said, this land is yours. And I'm going to not only give you the land, but I'm going to give you the people to populate it. So he's got that in his, in his mind and in his heart. You know, he's a... Well, let's, let's just go to the next chapter. Now, let's get into this, uh, this battle deal here. There's four kings that are described in the, in the first couple of verses and five kings that are described in the latter, on, latter part of, of that, that section that's describing the war that goes on. And, uh, and those five kings are interesting to us because that's where Lot was living, in Sodom. The, the other four kings apparently were warrior kinds of kings, and, and they're going to come up against Sodom, and Abram is going to get involved in this. Now, you know, 
one thing that, that, that amazes me here is Abram has all this territory. Abram has these promises of God that, that God's going to bless him. But he winds up involved in a, a war. You know, the reason I think that happened is because, like John was talking about this morning, in, in Sunday school, I'd encourage you to come to Sunday school. It starts at 9.45, runs till about 10.30. And, and we are, we're talking about... Uh, Desiring God and God being our, our, our greatest satisfaction. Abram, I believe, found his satisfaction in God and what God wanted him to do and, and, and just in a relationship to God. So he was centered upon the light. And when there is light, you see things. You, know, you ever notice that? When it's dark, you don't see well? I've noticed that. I, you know, when, when I used to go hunting down at, down at Clegg as a young feller who had that something to prove or something, but you walk out, you, you always go hunting early in the morning before it's daylight because you want to be in your position before the sun comes up. And, and when you're walking out across the, the pastures, in South Texas, even the ones that are, that are cleared, you will, you will see things, but they're not accurate. You'll, we have what we call bear grass down there. It, it's, it's kind of, what's it like? I don't know. It's like a dagger, like a, like a soft dagger, all right? So you're walking out across there, but early in the morning in, in, the, in the dark, that doesn't look like a plant. That looks like a booger. And then when you get in your, in your hunting place, you look out across the field and it's, it's that gray, it's just getting dawn, and you will see the biggest deer that you've ever seen. Only when the sun comes up, it's not a deer at all. Because darkness is, is deceiving, and, and darkness kind of locks us into what we have in our mind. But light, on the other hand, allows us to see the truth. Now, here's a problem with truth. Sometimes truth is tough. Let me take you to, to the 23rd Psalm. I know you know that, but I'm going to read some of it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Hallelujah. I like that. Problem is, well, he leads me in the path of righteousness. That's, that's good too. But then comes verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 23rd Psalm isn't just about still waters and green pastures and paths of righteousness. The 23rd Psalm also talks about the valley of the shadow of death. And, and even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why would I fear evil? Because there's evil out there. And you know what happens when God brings light? You see the valley of the shadow of death. And you see evil. And he says, I don't fear the evil because you're with me and your rod and your staff comfort me. You know why he needs comfort? Because he has been discomforted. When we're brought into the light, it is not a boring situation. 
you will see great, fantastic things that, that remind us of who God is. And you will see some tough things like the valley of the shadow of death. And you will see four kings coming to, to take away your nephews. And you will see all kinds of things because we have light. And it's never boring. Now, in the dark, apparently, those who are, are walking apart from the light and those who are, have come to Christ but slidden back into darkness, and I'm not talking about lostness, but I'm still talking about darkness, you ever noticed how bored they seem to be? How they're always looking for some kind of distraction? You know, they always want to get away because everything looks the same, everything is boring. Y'all, when you come into the light, it is not boring it is not always comfortable either so you've got uh, Abram who is walking in the light of the Lord and he's seeing variety you might say and and what we're going to encounter here is a bit of that variety that he encounters yeah they say don't pray for patience don't pray for variety either, unless you really want it. So here we go. We've got, we've got Abram settled down, but he's, he's settled down in the light. He's settled between fatness and fellowship with the Lord. This battle breaks out between these kings who have, have subjected the, the, the cities of the plains for a while. They're paying taxes for 12 years. In the 13th year, they say, that's enough, and... and the, the head king leads his, his other kings over into their territory and conquers some other folks around them. And apparently the, the five kings around the king of Sodom say, this would be a good time to take them on. You know, that, they're in our neighborhood. They have come to our home turf. And so here's the opportunity to get out from under their thumb. And, and, and among these, these cities is the city of Sodom where Lot lives. But the problem with these kings who are going to take on, these five kings who are going to take on four kings, that, that sounds like you've got a winning combination right there, right? Five against four, they ought to be able to whip somebody. Only problem is these five are not warriors. These five are folks who are secure in their stuff. That's what Sodom's all about. That's what Gomorrah is all about. Now you say, no, we know what Sodom and, and Gomorrah are all about because we know about Sodomites and we know how, how the, when the angels came, the men came and wanted to, to involve themselves with them. Well, I'll, let me refer you over to Ezekiel right quick. If you can find Ezekiel right quick. Like I can't. In Ezekiel chapter 16, look down to verse 49. Well, let's start at 48. Ezekiel 16, 48. And you can just write this down because I'm going to start reading. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughter have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. 
This is the guilt, the sin of Sodom. She had pride. This is the guilt of Sodom. She had excess food. This is the guilt of Sodom. She had prosperous ease. This is the guilt of Sodom. She did not aid the poor and the needy. Instead, she was haughty as well as doing abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Sometimes we think, ah, those people, they're committing the sin of Sodom. Yeah, they're not being generous. They're eating too much. They're just in, just at ease in their prosperity. They're prideful. Yeah, that's how those people are. That's a description of the cities of the plain, I'd say. They were settled into themselves, whereas the four kings came as warriors. And the, 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 the people from the plains who were going to just whip up on them, take advantage of this opportunity, that here comes our enemy just delivered to us, they didn't know their enemies. They didn't know how tough their enemies were. They didn't know how soft they were. You know, sometimes we think, well, I don't have to pray. I don't have to seek the Lord out. I don't have to grow in Christ because I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 50, 60 years, 70 years. I got this thing down pat. I can whip anything Satan throws at me. But the problem is we forget what Ephesians 6 says, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against, I guess, an enemy who finds his security in stuff in ease. So I, I, I'd say that these, these kings of the plains didn't know how tough their enemy was. They also didn't even know their own land. Did you, did you hear that as, as Charles was reading? That in the valley, in verse 10, in the valley of Sedim, it was full of tar pits. And so the now this is this is a land that, that's the plains around the Dead Sea, probably under the Dead Sea now. And so the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah said, "Man, we'll be able to see them coming a long way off, and when they come, we'll rush out and we will kick some tail." Well, the problem is they didn't even know what they were running across, apparently, because it says that when they fled, they fell into the tar pits. They didn't know what they had. They didn't know what they were up against. They didn't properly prepare for battle because they didn't have plan B because when the enemy came, all the ones that didn't fall in the tar pits fled to the hill country. So that's what's going on. And, and Abram, he's just over raising his sheep. He's blessed. And the, the, king, the, the kings of the plain and the cities of the plains who thought they had security because they had stuff and because they had money, because they had pride. Those are the things that Lot chose. Now, here's an interesting thing, too, is that Lot was a righteous man. Go to Second Peter chapter 2. And there, 
Peter describes rot, not rot, lot, as a righteous man. Or rot was a righteous man, whatever. Let's read that down verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ash, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. So Lot was there. He didn't like what was going on, but he seemed to like where it was going on. But he calls him righteous. So I would submit to you, I would warn you that you can belong to Christ and be in the wrong place. You can belong to Christ and have your confidence in the wrong things. And you can belong to Christ and because you have not put your confidence in him, because you're not walking with him, because you're not building altars, we don't have any record of Lot ever building an altar or seeking the Lord. But he was righteous by the by the will of God but he's in the wrong place so guard against that so what we have is Lot who is a friend of the world he's, he's, he's sold out to the security of the world and you have Abram who is a friend of God James he talks about those who are are friends of God, and Abram is called a friend of God. So Abram gets news of this. Someone thinks that Abram is going to be a source of rescue. Verse 13, chapter 14. And then one who escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, the, the brother of Eshcol, and Anar, which are called, which were allies of, of Abram. Now they come to Abram because he is something different. Matter of fact, that's what Hebrew means. Hebrew and, and Jew are something different. The, the Jews are descendants of, of Jacob, Israel. Okay? But Abram was an outsider. That's what it literally means an outsider or a pilgrim. Now, do you remember last week that we made a distinction between a pilgrim and a drifter? Abram is not a drifter. Abram is a pilgrim because a pilgrim is going somewhere. Abram's not just rattling around. But he is an outsider. He is someone who is different from everyone else. He is separated, but he is not isolated. And people knew that. Someone came to him and said, Abram, I know that you're an outsider and I know that you're off here by yourself and you're not involved in all that kind of stuff over there and the stuff that causes wars and the, and the stuff that loses wars. But we think that you are a source of help because you still are, you still have friends. You're still friendly. You have alliances. Matter of fact, it says here that, that he's got these, these others around him, the, the Amorite. And and uh, what is it? Uh, the, yeah, Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Anor, they were all allies of of Abram. Even though he's an outsider, he's not isolated. Okay, you you understand the distinction? Sometimes we think we win when we isolate ourselves. That's not what God called us to. But He called us to be separate, but not isolated. 
Now, another difference is that Abram is not dependent upon the world. He's dependent upon God. Lot is dependent upon the world because he's, he's in, the, in the commerce and in the comfort and, and all the stuff that, that, that late-night TV says you got to have. I guess. I don't know about late-night TV because it comes on too late. But anyway, he's into all, the, all that, that worldly kinds of stuff. He's dependent upon that. That's his security. In Abraham's case, he is not dependent on that, upon that, but he is not indifferent to those who are involved in that. He's not opposed to people who are not like him. He is different, but he doesn't hate everybody who is not like him. Okay? He does, he's not indifferent to them. He's not indifferent. He's not, I mean, mad at them. He's not indifferent to them. He's uncompromising, but we find out that he is cooperative. See that? You can do that. You can say, I have standards, and I'm not going to say this is okay, but I am going to say that I will help you if I can help you. I will be involved with you. I can be your friend and still maintain my stance, my standard of right and wrong. Okay? You with me? Don't doze off yet. There's a battle coming. So he's not dependent on the world. He's uncompromising, but he cooperates. He cares and he shows his love for those who are different from him and those who do not have a relationship with God without hearing their testimony. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he just take a chance on somebody, apparently. That he would, he would re- develop a relationship, that he would develop a cooperation with someone without them having a testimony of having come to, to faith in God. Because he loves the people that God loves. Right? So that's what we see here. He's got this, he's got this, this, uh, this connection to these folks who are around him. And when word of the, the, the battle comes a battle that's lost, he springs into action. See, he's, he's involved with the world like, like Joseph was. Remember, Joseph was, a, was a, a, a prisoner and a slave in Egypt. And what Joseph did is he made his bosses and his over, people who were over him look successful. Isn't that amazing? Even though they were Egyptian, not Israelites. So, here's the, here's the deal. Abram gets, gets the word. In verse 14, When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Well, that, that, that sounds like a pretty easy thing. You know, you just get your men together. You have trained these guys. You've raised them up. They're yours. Some of them are, are slaves, and some of them are, are maybe employees. But... But they're, they're all here. They're yours. You just, you're going to spring into action. Now, one thing I, 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 that stands out to me is it makes a note that these 318 guys who are trained by him are also raised in his house. 
So if they're raised in the house of Abram, and Abram has a relationship with the one true God, what do you think these guys heard about? They're in his house. So now, I'm going to guess that one of the first things that might have happened before the, or as they're going to battle, you got 318 guys praying with you. That'd be a good start to a war, wouldn't it? Good way to start a war. If you're going to war, take some guys with you who are on your side, who know you, who are praying with you. They're born in his house. They're raised in his house. They have shared in Abram's victories. They're armed with the weapons that Abram is armed with and that Abram has armed them with. And, because our weapons, uh, weapons of our, our warfare are not flesh and blood, because they're not carnal. But God is working in us, even to the pulling down of strongholds. And so that relationship with God bleeds over into these folks who are raised in his house. So they're going out to battle. And they believe in Abram. Now, here's why I believe that. Because they started this battle at Dan. From where Abram was to Dan was 120 miles, more or less. Now, if you're marching 318 guys and, and, and they're slaves and they don't want to be a part of your, of your battle, in 120 miles, they can get scarce. Matter of fact, when they get there, he divides them in, into at least a couple of companies and, and sends them to each side. And if they don't want to be a part of, of Abram's army, they can just defect. But these guys didn't. Instead, they were loyal to Abram because Abram was loyal to God and they won the victory. 318 folks, 319 counting Abram in harmony going to battle against the enemies of God. And they didn't quit. Here's another interesting factoid, maybe. Verse 15. So they, they pursued to Dan. They went in pursuit as far as Dan. That's where they started. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them. And then he pursued them to Hobah. The translation of, of the name Hobah is hiding place. North of Damascus. And so they, they traveled 120 miles to get to the battle. And then when the armies, their enemies began to run, they pursued them north of Damascus to Hobah, which was a hundred miles. I'm going to say these guys had persistence. And that persistence was the result of the relationship with Abram, who had a relationship with God. And so I'd say his 318 guys did too. That's the kind of people you want to go into battle with. They didn't quit. They shared Abram's victories before this. They were armed with Abram's weapons that are not of this world. They believed and followed Abram and Abram's God. They divided and surrounded and conquered and they didn't quit. And they rescued the captives. They rescued Lot. Remember righteous Lot who just happens to live in Sodom? They rescued Lot and they recovered all that had been seized 
including Lot, all that was his. Now, here is the strange thing. It, it doesn't say it here, but we know in a couple of chapters that we're going to encounter Lot again. And where is Lot going to be? Right back in Sodom. There's not a better team to be on than God's team. There's not a greater blessing than to have been chosen by God. And God is faithful, and even with, with Lot having been rescued from Sodom and returning to Sodom, he's still called a righteous Lot in the New Testament because God is faithful. But can you imagine how... Well, it also says that Lot was miserable there because of what was going on. Now, there's your choice, Christian. There's your choice, believer. You have come to God. You have come to God through Jesus Christ. He has called you. You've come by faith that he gave you. He has made you a new creation. You have the option of living with him and walking with him by faith and being called a friend of God or being lost in the corruption, the pride, the worldliness, of Sodom. I'm not talking about going to hell. I'm talking about living hell here on earth until you die and go to the presence of Jesus. I would encourage you this morning. If you are living there or if you are fading that direction, I would encourage you this morning to do what Revelation says and that is to remember to come back from where you to where you were. Remember where you are from. Remember whose you are. And today, repent and say, Lord God, you are worthy of better than this. I want to walk by faith. I want to live for your glory. I want to be the one, even though I'm separated from the world, they recognize that I'm an outsider who they know they can come to when they have a need because they know that I'm yours. Heavenly Father, we pray for repentance. 